And as they're making their way out, well, this is a great illustration. What if you could have the energy and enthusiasm to get up and go to work on Monday morning? Some of you thought I was going to say for worship, right? What if you could get up and go to work on Monday mornings with that kind of enthusiasm? Like, man, I am excited. I am ready. Let's tackle it. Let's see what's in store for the day. I'm not sure that most of us have that attitude when it comes to Monday morning, but we're going to continue the study of the satisfied life and, and a- ask the question, can we be satisfied in our work? Finding satisfaction in your work. Well, uh, Solomon probably presents more questions and answers in Ecclesiastes, but if you got your Bibles open to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, but also flip back a few pages and uh, to chapter 5, verses 19. So let's stand as we open God's Word together. And uh, we'll look at some of the words of Solomon and some of what he was grappling with, wrestling with. Uh, he made some statements, sometimes I think even in his frustration, that uh, were certainly statements of absolute truth. And we have the joy of bringing the whole counsel of the Word of God to the context here and, and seeing what God has added to all of this through creation and redemption. And so if you found your place there, let's look at one verse in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 19, and then we'll flip back over to chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. He writes, God has also given riches and wealth to every man, and he has allowed him to enjoy them, take his reward, and rejoice in his labor. Rejoice in his labor. Enjoy his work. Now, some of you saw the first part of that, and you're going, really, he gave riches and wealth? To some degree, yes, to all of us. And not only that, he has allowed us to enjoy our work. He says, this is a gift from God. And we'll talk a little bit about what prompted that statement. Now, in chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, to provides maybe some meaning of applying what God blesses us with. He says, send your bread on the surface of the waters, for after many days you will find it. In other words, you cast it and it will come back. Give a portion to seven or even to eight if you don't know what disaster may happen on earth, or for you don't know what disaster will happen on earth. If the clouds are full, they will pour out rain on the earth, whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Many of us read that and we think, boy, that, what a profound statement. Where a tree falls, there it lies. One who watches the wind will not sow, and the one who looks at the clouds will not reap, just as you don't know the path of the wind or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you don't know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, And at evening, do not let your hand rest because you don't know which will succeed, whether one or the other, or if both of them will be equally good. Father, Lord, help us to understand from these uh, words of wisdom, things that Solomon was writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Lord, reflecting within our understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how we can find satisfaction in the work that is before us every day. And most of all, how we can find a way to glorify you in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. 
read about a fellow who went to a job interview. Anybody gone recently to a job interview? This guy went and he sat down at a job interview and somebody asked uh, this question while he was in this interview. The potential employer said, uh, I want you to tell me what you believe is your worst quality. What is your worst quality? Don't you love that question? I, can I just tell you as a pastor, I love serving as a reference for you. The one question I hate to fill out on any kind of reference form is what is your worst quality? Because I'm like, I'm not going to try to point out a bad quality in somebody that I love dearly. That's a hard question. It puts us on the spot, does it not? And so especially when it comes to ourselves, this person wanted the job and he said, what's your worst quality? And he answered this. He said, well, I am a very honest person. I am extremely honest. And the potential employer is doing the interview said, well, I don't think that's a bad quality at all. Well, I think that can be a very good quality to which the one who was interviewing looked at him and said, I don't care what you think. Probably not a good way to respond in a job interview, but at least he was honest, right? I don't care what you think. Well, Sometimes it's tough to look at those qualities that would get us a job and think that they could possibly even sometimes get us in trouble. Maybe as a Christian you would think that there are some things that are very positive qualities as a Christian that may not serve you well in the workplace. And I want us to see this morning that uh, they can serve us well in the workplace. A contemplation of life that Solomon is doing here. Remember we said in the Proverbs so many of them were written perhaps earlier on and then later as he looks back over his life, as, as he writes this contemplation of Ecclesiastes as the, the teacher or the debater, debating among himself, dialoguing here with God and with himself, sharing his own frustrations. You cannot contemplate life without contemplating work. And if you think about it, you know, sometimes on Sunday mornings, we talk about everything but work. Most people don't even, you're like, Pastor Robbie, it's Sunday, it's the weekend. I, I want to rest and relax and refresh and then worship the Lord, and I don't want to talk about work. Please don't bring it up. Let me just face it tomorrow morning when I wake up. And it's going to be a little more difficult, right, tomorrow morning. Because some of you, it'll be dark when you wake up. Think about this, 60 to 65%, 60 to 65% on average of our waking hours are on the job are in the workplace. Now, I know that we have those who are stay-at-home moms, but let's give credit to whom credit is due. That is also work. And uh, stay-at-home moms sometimes do the hardest work. Try switching places with some of them. The Proverbs 31 woman was a woman who uh, was not only working hard at home, but was facilitating the income in some creative ways and doing some other things. And so it was still hard work. In fact, before the Industrial Industrial Revolution, you also had the stay-at-home dad for the most part, or at least what we would call the work-at-home. More work was done in and around the house, and especially in an agrarian society, more work done at home by men. And and so the the kind of the going off to work, the workforce being in a different location, uh, is something that is new when you consider all of history. But we still most of us will spend 65% of our waking hours on the job. And then we spend about 30 to 35% of our waking hours with family or doing personal interests, 
recreation and hobbies, which leaves 0 to 10%, depending on how you divide your time, 0 to 10% to be involved in spiritual pursuits, worship, and church service, and things like that. On average, 90% of Christians, however, even though they will spend two-thirds, almost two-thirds of their life in the workplace, 90% of Christians never listen to a sermon or read a book that has anything to do with the workplace. Now, certainly the character of a Christian and those other things we learn, we expect to apply in the workplace, but what about the subject of work in and of itself? Solomon not only considered his own business efforts and investments and things like that when he was writing this contemplation. He applied wisdom to that, but he also considered the thousands that were under him, the others whom his life and his work had an impact, leading them to a place of work and and servitude in so many different ways. And it was basically, the conclusion was, man, we're working, we're buying necessities, and then we eat, and then we sleep, and it's all gone, and we start it all over. It, too, like life, was seemingly a constant cycle, just repeating itself. We work to make a living, to take that money and buy food and pay for things like a kid's education so that they can get uh, an education, which will help them get a job, which will help them go to work and pay the bills and eat and sleep and help their kids get a job and work and eat and sleep and that sort of thing. And it seems like work is just part of that endless cycle and a big part of it. And when you think about it today, even in in the 21st century, just the the songs that I could think of that have to do, the, the popular culture type songs, country, rock, you name it, the titles that came to my mind when it came to work were plenteous and And here's just a few, kind of to put them all in one statement. We're working nine to five, earning a working man's PhD, a 40-hour week for a living just to send it on down the line, thinking it's, or hoping it's five o'clock somewhere, or time for a national working woman's holiday because she works hard for her money. But we will get the working man's blues and tell someone, if we're not careful, to do what? Take this job, and I'll let you finish that one, because we're tired of shift work and frustrated because some are getting money for nothing. All the songs about work just seem to lead us to a greater place of frustration, like we're supposed to hate work. Now, think about this. If you hate work, and you hate your job, and two-thirds of your life is spent in the workplace doing work, then you're going to hate life. If you don't find a way to love your work, you'll never find a way to love life. How does the God factor change our perspective? And so I think Solomon, when he introduces the God factor, that this is a gift from God, reminds us we need to keep a couple of things in mind here, especially as New Testament believers, because not only do we have the creation account where we understand from the very beginning God is a working God, but we also have the redemption account. God was at work before sin entered the world. Adam had a job to do. I like to remind young men of this. He had a job to do before he was ever given a woman to love. God gave him a work to do. And so he had a job, right? And, and, and then Adam and Eve had a job together, and she was his helpmate. 
in that work before sin even entered the world. We'll come back to that thought in just a second, but let's think about this. How does the God factor change our perspective? First of all, I want you to see that God restores the enjoyment of work. God restores the enjoyment of work. Go back to chapter 5, that verse we started with. Look at 19, and then the next verse there, verse 20. It says, God also, he's given riches and wealth to every man as he has allowed him to enjoy them. Take his reward and rejoice in his labor. He says, this is a gift of God, for he does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. He's saying, listen, all these things that had frustrated me about this endless cycle called life and these deep things of philosophy that, that, that we could talk about and, and discover that things are meaningless. He says, one way that I escape the depression that this life would bring to me is that I enjoy my work. I enjoy what I do every day. And so it is possible, even in a sin-fallen world, for people to love their work, to enjoy their labor. He says, we get occupied with that. In fact, for some people, and this is not the majority here this morning, but for some people, we can even become workaholics because we spend more time doing the work that we enjoy doing than we spend doing some things that we should be doing, like spending time with our family, making time to get away with them, making time to invest in our family, or making time, more importantly, for God and for worship and walking with Him. And so this gift is that you, you don't think about the, the fleeting of the riches and the salary and the life that is before you because, you're, you, quite honestly, you're just enjoying the work. Some people, not everybody, but I would love to think that we could get to this place, enjoy the work they do so much that they would do it even if they didn't get paid for it. I'm seeing some different responses. Some of you are like, yeah, and some of you are like, no way, no way. If I could only win the lottery, I would be out of here. Not not an endorsement for the lottery, okay? Um, Chapter 2 and verse 24, flip back just a, a couple of chapters there. Chapter 2 and verse 24, there is nothing better for a man than to eat, drink, and to enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand, that God has allowed us to not become bored or depressed with life, and one way he helps us is that we can enjoy the work that we do. Again, what happened? We live in a sin-fallen world, do we not? Not everyone enjoys their work. Not everyone goes to work with the same attitude every day. God created work. God is, is at work himself and always has been. So, so what happened here? Sin entered the world. Then there were thorns and thistles on those things they were trying to garden. The ground became tough to till. So keep this in mind. Work is not a result of the curse, but the drudgery or the difficulty in work was brought about by the curse. But if we're created in the image of God, then we're created to be a working people and to join God at work. John 5, 17 says our Father is always at work. And so work is a gift to be enjoyed. Work itself is not a curse to be endured. It is a gift to be enjoyed. Now, the gospel brings about redemption to not only us, but to this world which was under the the, the curse of sin. 
And ultimately, we know there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to receive glorified bodies. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to work in heaven. It's going to be glorious work. We're going to love what we do as we serve the Lord with gladness. But we're also told to serve the Lord with gladness and to do our work as unto him in this life. And so we need to have a redeemed attitude. We saw that in the book of Colossians last week. Chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, whatever you do, do it soulishly or heartily, passionately as unto the Lord, not to man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward. Remember, God is your boss, for we work for him, not for man. We work to please him, not to please man. And so when we take that perspective as born-again Christians, it redeems the value and the enjoyment as God restores enjoyment to our work because it changes our attitude about work. You know, hummingbirds and vultures both work the deserts in North America. But they have kind of a different thing that they're looking for, right? Buzzards go in and and they're looking for dead meat. They're they're looking for something with a stench. They're they're looking for that which is past. And, And so they're feasting off that which stinks and that which is dead and that which is decaying. But hummingbirds, they're finding the fresh vegetation. They're finding the most beautiful flowers. And some say that the most beautiful flowers you can find in North America are found in our deserts with certain flowering plants. Why do the hummingbirds find that which is beautiful and the vultures find that which stinks? (laughs) It's because of what they're looking for in their work. It's all about attitude. And so the attitude that helps you enjoy the workplace is an attitude that says, I I believe God created work. I believe God enabled me to do the work. And I believe that when I go into that, I'm going to look for that which is of redeeming value. I'm created in the image of God, and so I'm going to roll up my sleeves and work with him. It is a gift to be enjoyed, not a curse to be endured because it was created before man had even fallen. Now, the fall does require redemption, and so we need to have a redeemed attitude about our workplace. I don't know where each of you work this morning. I don't know, you know, from those who work hard in the home as homemakers, those who work with the business, those who own the business, those who manage people, those who are under management, those who are frustrated with the people they're managing, and those who are frustrating with the, frustrated with their boss. Those who you go to work each day and you wish everybody would do it like you do it, right? That never happens in the church, but it all happens in the workplace, right? I wish everybody would do it like I do it because I've got it right. Wish I could find somebody who would, listen, the attitude you bring to the workplace will be the attitude that affects the people around you that will change ultimately the people around you because if you bring an attitude that says our God is a working God who is always at work, inviting me to join him at work, and I see my work as unto the Lord, which means I bring about a certain business ethic or work ethic in my work. I want to give God my very best because it's as unto him and not to man. I'm going to work with integrity, and if my employer demand something less than integrity, then I'll have to stand my ground, come what may, and take the consequences and stand for truth. 
But you can grow, just as you grow in your sanctification and become more Christ-like, you can grow in your enjoyment of work. Life experiences help you grow in your enjoyment of work because you know what kind of work you're more suited for. Education helps you to grow in your enjoyment of work. And I don't mean necessarily it has to be a formal education, but you learn skills to do better what you do. Discipline helps you to grow in your enjoyment of work. Your work record or resume, the advisors that you have in your life, all of these help you gradually move into that area of work which is best for you and most productive for you. And so we need to apply biblical principles of serving the Lord with integrity in the workplace and grow into that which is suited, best suited for us and that we're best suited for. Number two, I want you to see that God also renews your enthusiasm for work. Like the enthusiasm we saw of those kids that were running out of here. And I realize, you know, tomorrow's the first Monday morning after daylight savings time, right? More people seem to be frustrated about it than ever before. I think if the next president of the United States, or the, the, whoever desires to be the next president of the United States, would, would campaign on repeal and replace, but rather than Obamacare, if they, would, if they would run on repeal and replace daylight savings time, they would probably get elected, right? If we could just repeal and replace daylight, if we could just do away with it. Some of you are sitting here thinking, man, I'm just so glad that for the first time in several months, the clock in my car is going to be right. You didn't bother to change it the last time. Everything else was automatic. But even on the first Monday after daylight savings time, can you have a renewed enthusiasm? Well, if we're working for others instead of just ourselves, that can be the case. Going back to chapter 11, send your bread, that which you have earned, that which you have worked hard for. Send it on the waters, meaning be a blessing to somebody else. For after many days you may find it. Give, Jesus said, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shake it together, running over. Give a portion to seven, even, even to eight, for you don't know what disaster may happen on the earth. Seek to bless others who may not be as blessed as you. If the clouds are full, he says, they, they're going to pour out rain. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. In other words, Life's going to go on. These things are going to be taking place. And so the one who watches the wind will not sow. If you're trying to look and see what's going to happen, you can always come up with an excuse not to do the next thing. One of the most uh, productive books that I've recently gotten that has to do with work is just titled, Do the Next Thing. And so if we're always looking around, looking for an excuse not to do the next thing, we'll always come up with an excuse not to do the next thing. He says, the one who looks at the clouds will not reap. He will always say, well, it just doesn't look like a good time to get anything done. The ones who are getting things done are always up against the rain and everything else. They're always trying to get what they're doing done despite the circumstances that they seem to be reading around them. That means work is active and work is proactive. We're always saying, if God's going to renew my enthusiasm, I'm asking the question, how can I do what I do better? How can I be more proactive in what I'm doing? You realize more time is wasted while people are clocked into a job than at any other time. I mean, people, listen, I read that in one particular office that all the computers went down. And they said, everybody's going to have to do what they've been doing manually. 
And someone made the comment, that means we have to shuffle our own deck of cards to play solitaire, doesn't it? Some guilty faces, right? We're to do something. We're to be, listen, for those who are younger, that means the enjoyment of that writer fit, that better fit for you will come after life's experiences. You can't sit around like many of the millennial generation. I hate to pick it on the millennial generation because they are full of passion and I believe they have the power to change the world when they walk with Jesus Christ and they're going to do some great things. Having said that, many of them, surveys tell us, are waiting around for the perfect job so they're not doing anything until that perfect job comes available. I even spoke to one young man years ago, and he was not of the millennial generation. I have to pick on my generation here. Who, who said, listen, I'm going to get everything in order, and, and when I can get that perfect youth ministry job, then I'll, I'll, I'll embrace it. And my question was, well, what are you going to do until then? Because if it's sit around and play video games and do nothing, then nobody's going to want you to be their youth minister, right? And, and so do something. For me as a kid, it meant tear my dad's lawnmower up cutting the neighbor's grass, but do something. And I get paid for it, and he had to fix his own lawnmower. But do something and teach the next generation to do something. As a 16-year-old, it meant get a job at Burger King. It meant seeing God open a door for me to be the custodian at Jackson Electric when I was a senior in high school. It meant when I went to seminary and all of a sudden, hundreds of students show up on campus and there's more students than there are churches to give them opportunities and jobs and responsibilities within the church that I went to Walmart back when all the men had to wear ties. Remember that? I worked at Walmart and God taught me things about ministry at Walmart. Anything that I could do, I was glad to have work. So many of the experiences, and I could name job after job after job that before God opened the door for me to be full-time in ministry. In fact, early in our marriage, Tina still worked for a um, temporary agency. And so anytime they couldn't find somebody to do a temporary job for a day or two or a week, guess who she called? Yours truly. And so whether it was working, the worst thing she ever did to me, she goes, there's a job at a construction company, you need to show up. I showed up, they needed a receptionist that day. (laughs) Frustrated the fool out of me when those tough, rugged dudes walked in and said, so you're the new girl. And I I was so mad, I was like, fortunately that one was only for one day. But any work we can do, leads us to gaining experience and learning what we enjoy and what we're created for and what we're made for. When you see it as an opportunity to bless others, the people around you, your coworkers, your customers, those that you provide for, and expand that even to those that you want to reach, God then renews your enthusiasm for work. Solomon was saying, man, we, we can work Because when we work, we're investing ourselves in that work. We're investing ourselves in the people that we work with. And then God blesses us with what we earn so that we can reinvest that into the world and be a blessing to the people around us who need us. Ephesians 4.28 in the RSV, the Robbie Standard Version, says, Quit robbing others. Get a job doing something good with your hands. 
so that you'll be able to bless those who are in need around you. In other words, if you're not embracing your work with enthusiasm to be a blessing there and a blessing to the people around you, then you're robbing them. You say, well, no, 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 he's talking about thieves there. Yes, I realize in the context he's talking about those who were stealing are to steal no longer, but, but when we don't bring what we have to offer to the table, we're robbing people of what God has gifted us with. And so God renews our enthusiasm to invest that. Proverbs 3, 9, Solomon said, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all of your crops. And so we're to bring it and to invest it into kingdom life. That gives us enthusiasm in our work, knowing that God is building his kingdom through the work that we're doing, however trivial that work may seem. God can renew your enthusiasm for work. You say, well, I've got the will, but I don't have the energy today. I've got the will, but I don't have the strength. Well, the final point I want us to see this morning is that God revives your energy to work. Look at again, verse 5 and then in verse 6. Just as you don't know the path of the wind, or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman. He's saying, listen, when God is doing a work inside of somebody and putting a, a person together uh, fearfully and wonderfully, as Psalm 139 says, that you, you don't understand that. You don't see it. You don't get it because he says, you don't know the work of God who makes everything. What's the point? You don't know what God may be up to. And God's up to doing something in your life and through you in your workplace. So in the morning, verse 6, he just says, sow your seed because you don't know what God's going to do with it. And at the evening, do not let your hand rest because you don't know which will succeed, whether one or the other, or if both of them will be equally good. That brings a certain energy to our work because we get excited about what God may do with what we're doing especially when you never know what God is up to and we're joining him in his mission and we're in the process, even in our workplace, of discovery, looking at it every day rather than going in saying, I am so frustrated with these people I work with or I'm so frustrated because I feel like I'm stuck in a rut that I can't escape. Go in asking, man, what might God have in store for me today? What relationships might be impactful for the kingdom of God and what might he do to show me his hand. So you're taking God to work with you now. That's part of the redeeming value of work is that it's God, Philippians 2.13. It's God who is at work within you. That word in Philippians 2.13 where it says it's God who works within you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. The word for work there is the word energeo. We get our word energy from. It's saying that when when we take God to work, right, when we're asking him each morning in our daily quiet time before we go to the workplace, Lord, fill me afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit. Give me strength today like I would never have in and of myself. Then God energizes us for the work that he's called us to, especially when we're called to act according to fulfilling his good pleasure, when we're doing it for his glory, then the energy comes from him to do what he's called us to do. Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine according to what his, the energy, the way he energizes us is what it says literally in that passage. If you're called to be a witness in the workplace, Acts 1.8 says the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you 
And you'll be witnesses. And so it's the Holy Spirit that gives you the, the power to do what you're called to do as a witness in the workplace. In our men's Bible study lately, we've been talking a lot about the workplace. And I shared about five energizers with our men this past week. Here are some things that, in addition to understanding, we need to rely on God and be filled afresh and new with his Holy Spirit and say, Lord, if I'm going to this workplace, I really need you to go with me each day. In addition to that, he says that uh, Robert Lewis, the author of this study that we were looking at, says these are also energizers. When our work integrates our dreams. So when you find a way to say, listen, I'm living the dream in my workplace. I'm doing what I can do. I'm doing what I want to do. And I'm doing something worth doing. And as you get older, you move toward that more and more. Number two, it engages our strengths, right? We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are hardwired for something. God has designed you a certain way. And so when your work engages your strengths, that means some of you need to continue to ask, how do I bring my strengths to my job? Others of you may be needing to pray, Lord, is there a better job for me than the one I'm doing now? And continue to work that one until God opens the right door. But when it engages our strengths. Number three, when it fits who we really are. You know, there's about three categories that all of us are kind of, um, we kind of fit into one of these three categories. We either work well, well with people, with numbers, or with things. And when I say things, I mean like machines or you're able to build something, build something, a small craft to build something small or, or construct something large. But we either work better with people or with numbers or with things. And so you need to find out which it is that kind of motivates you, that gets you excited about waking up in the morning and see how you can bring that strength to your job. How many of you this morning would say, out of those three categories, people's numbers and things, I'm a people person. Let me just work with people. Raise your hand if that's you. All right. I thought it might be the minority of us. But yeah, it's, there's a few of us that we just kind of work better with people. What about numbers? How many of you are just numbers people? You're good with numbers. All right. Still a few of us, right? I don't know if it's quite a third yet. So maybe, maybe the majority of us work well with things, machines, gadgets, build stuff, construct stuff, design stuff. How many of you would say that's me? From what I saw, it was about a third and a third and a third. So, so we, we fall into those categories, but find out how has God designed me? How does it fit with who I really am? Somebody is in here going, man, I work with, good, with numbers, and so I became a math teacher, but I don't work good with people, and so they're driving me nuts, right? I work good with numbers, so I became an accountant, and they put me in an office to manage people, and they're driving me nuts. Um, you have to consider those things. What is it that you are gifted with? And then a healthy, balanced pace at work. When work respects the time that you need to spend with your family, when work respects your faith, all of those things. I was uh, reading just the other day where a manager of a company, or a a, a university actually, I I think it was uh, maybe one of the deans or a faculty member, but resigned because the school would not allow Chick-fil-A to come on campus. And so they said, there are certain ethics, certain standards that I embrace, and, and you guys are going against that. So they, they said, they don't respect my faith here, and they stepped down. And then finally, focus on God's great commission. 
integrate our dreams. It, it, it integrates our dreams. It engages our strengths. It fits with who we really are. It brings a healthy balance pace to life. And it helps us focus on the Great Commission. And, and so the day at work becomes a day of ministry. Do you realize the workplace, a work day, is a kind of a microcosm of our life? Think about that. The attitude that you wake up with in the morning to get ready to go to work will ultimately be the attitude with which you embrace life. The the ability you have to enjoy your work in a day, in a given day, will be the ability that you have to enjoy your life. Or or when you get into um, challenges. Let's be honest. Anybody facing any challenges in the workplace today? Nobody? Somebody's not being honest. Challenges. I'm not talking about necessarily the people you work with, just that the the business itself sometimes is a challenge, right? That daily challenge is also teaching you how you'll face challenges in life. The attitude you bring will be the attitude you bring to life. And then what happens, right? We said a moment ago, listen, hopefully for the Christian it's not 5 o'clock somewhere just so you can go have a drink. It's 5 o'clock somewhere so you can go spend some time with the people that you love the most, right? Spend some time with your family and embrace them. In other words, the, there's a whistle at the end of the work day. Well, maybe not a whistle where you work, but it kind of pictures the fact that one day the work that we do in this life will come to an end And it's not going to be a whistle, but it's going to be a trumpet, right? The Lord's going to call us home one day, and we're going to be in his presence to rejoice forevermore. And those who have served him well will hear the well done, good and faithful servant. When we look at our workplace, we should say, I want it to be a microcosm of all of that. I want to stand at the end of the day saying, I gave my best today. I gave my best to God, to my employer, to the people I work with, the people that I'm serving. When we used to play football, the coaches would tell us, you better go to the whistle, right? You go to the whistle. You don't stop till the whistle blows. And there's a few more rules in place now. You better pull up a little bit sometimes without the whistle, right? But not not back then. You, You went hard until the whistle blew. And I pray we'll have that attitude in our work. Giving our Lord and the people we serve with everything we've got. With great passion, enthusiasm, and joy. You can do that. You have not only permission, I believe you have biblical reason to enjoy your work for the glory of God. Would you bow your heads with me?